0: Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFura. I'm leaving us very little time as we try to keep these shows to a half hour. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Caram, and we are a belly-up sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how you doing?
2: LJ, I'm doing good. Uh, Last episode for me, prior to going back to college, you are currently at college, uh, so we're getting back into the grind, Uh, but we are still going through our top 10 position rankings. We have left field for this episode, and LJ and I, we've been compiling these lists throughout the offseason, and we both agreed that when we got to this list to do it, it was LJ, I'm not sure which was harder, trying to find a group of 10 players, or trying to actually rank the 10 players for for this position group.
0: Yeah, you know, I think at least for me, after about three, and I've said this before with other ones, varying numbers, but with left field in particular, after maybe the third player, the quality drops just slightly, and then they're all on a very even plane for me. So... That was troublesome. The other thing that's troublesome is in the outfield nowadays, we have so much versatility, so many position changes throughout the game, throughout the season, that it became very hard to identify who we wanted to call left fielders to begin with. We had, we went back and forth on at least four or five players that are on this list or slightly off this list. And eventually after all this work, um, we've been looking at this list for least a month now we've I think both gotten it to about 13 players that we thought were like actually deserving of being in consideration for this list and eventually made it back down to the 10.
2: You know it just goes to show that at least in a sport like baseball just how close the competition is to one another you know you think about the the difference between a 200 and a 300 batting average that's only getting a hit 10 percent more. I mean, which doesn't seem like a lot, but in the in the grand scheme of baseball, it really is. So it just shows how hard it is to try to separate these players. And left field, certainly a spot where uh, it's not the biggest names, but these are still very quality players who have played a role, big role, some of these guys on their team success of the past few years. But LJ, should we get into it starting with number ten?
0: Um, sure. We're gonna talk about another couple other things, but
2: oh do you want to touch on those quick?
0: Yeah, let's do it because I think there was a couple um things that happened this week, certainly. Well, the MLB and the MLBPA, they met, they exchanged pleasantries. Actually, I'm not even sure if they got to pleasantries with how hostile things are right now. Brandon can give a better breakdown than I did, but the negotiations did not go well and seemed relatively short.
2: <laughs> LJ, here are some of the proposals that were made by the league uh during the talks, uh, which were I believe it was January thirteenth when they had them. Uh yeah, LJ, I just tried to, I wanted to skip past this just because you we, we already know where the conversation <laughs> is gonna end up. Uh no, I kid, uh, this is important. But let's let's go through it. So The first thing that the league proposed in regards to the top pick in the amateur draft, the teams with the three worst records would be involved in a lottery with the winner receiving the first overall pick. LJ, I'm just going to kind of go through these point by point and I'll let you give a little short response to each one.
0: Okay. So basically we're going to try to take down the amount of teams that are tanking and um, getting rid of their payroll from five to seven to three or four? Does that really actually help the league? Also, I don't think that um, that really solves anything because all these bad teams that know they're they're not good are still going to want to cut their payroll. So it doesn't do that much in the context of the the MLB tanking. NBA and MLB tanking are very different things and they need to be combat differently. I'm going to take this opportunity to... Um, share my little crackpot idea for this. The first pick in the draft, or even honestly, the whole playoff group should be given out based on average attendance. So if you are even like the 10th 10th worst team, rather than picking 10th, you pick first. If you're the 12th worst team and you're not in the playoffs, but you have a lot of people showing up to your games, you pick second. And for me, this does a number of things. One, it gives fans the rare opportunity to directly impact the future of the franchise, the direction of the organization. And I think that would excite a lot of people and it would get the immediate return would be there in terms of more people being interested in showing up for bad teams. The other thing it does is it destroys tanking because these teams are all all cutting their payroll knowing they're going to be better off on the other end because they're going to get these top prospects, these big names that are eventually going to come up and then they can be successful. No, if you're not spending money in this new group, you're not going to be able to get ahead. Even if you get to like the middle of the pack in terms of total payroll, you're going to be better off than you are with no payroll because you're going to get more people interested in staying with you for the entire season the other thing this does is it makes sure that the top players who are demanding the most money end up going in the early part of the first round rather than later because teams aren't willing to pay them if the pirates aren't willing to pay a guy and they go with somebody else instead that kind of ruins the excitement of the draft because the best guys aren't going first and we're not seeing true talent for it. So overall what it does, I think is it gives the draft more meaning and it takes away from all these teams that are tanking. That's my little soapbox moment. The rest of my points will be very brief.
2: This next one, I am uh, a bit indifferent to, I guess, cause I don't really care a draft for international amateur players. As opposed to the current July second international signing window and bonus pool system.
0: I I don't know. I don't know how much it would change it.
2: Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, it
0: was, I like I like the system as current. I think it gives it some excitement. I think it's different than anything else we have in North American sports, but I wouldn't necessarily be mad.
2: This next one, uh Some people may not understand, as I do not entirely understand how this works, but the elimination of the Super 2 arbitration system, as players who would count as Super 2 eligible in the future, would have salaries determined by a formula. The league has not released what this formula would be, but many are assuming that it will be something to do. With fan graphs, the league has looked in purchasing fan graphs because we know that they need to be in charge of everything, including the baseball, the formulas for which players will be paid. Uh, yeah, but we're not sure about that. Super 2 arbitration, essentially, if you're a good enough player and you have enough service time in your second year in the major leagues, you can get an arbitration uh, contract instead of the normal league minimum or whatever the team chooses to pay you, uh so you get a fourth year of arbitration essentially, which is is good for some players. But as for this, uh, I don't really care. Um, the MLBPA said they don't want any stat-based calculation tied to salary, and I'd probably agree with that.
0: Yeah, because stats, as much as they tell a lot, they don't tell the whole story of baseball, and. I think with the added value that comes from other places, that's important. The other thing is just the vagueness of the system, especially the fact that they haven't shared the formula seems so sketchy to me because the super two is one of the very few things about the whole arbitration system that kind of makes sense. So I don't see a reason to change that in in the first place But with it, you have the opportunity to go back on things and end up skewing the numbers just right so that players end up not getting paid nearly as well as they would under the Super 2 system. And we have no real way of proving or disproving that right now. So that's why I'm against it. This next one
2: is pretty interesting. And LJ, now that I have the full thing, I think you'll have a little better context on this as we were talking about this prior to the show. If a team has a top 100 ranked prospect on its opening day roster and that player finishes in the top five in voting for a major award, the MVP, Cy Young, or Rookie of the Year, during one of his arbitration eligible seasons, the team would receive a bonus draft pick. The idea is to provide a benefit for teams so they won't hold back top prospects for service time reasons, as extra playing time might help a player earn an award like Rookie of the Year as soon as possible.
0: All right, so I have a serious section and a slightly humorous section. First off, this is so stupid just because of the fact that it doesn't stop people from doing the same stuff that they were doing the service time manipulation can still happen. You bring a guy up for the first day of the season, bring him, drop him down like a day after or maybe two or three days after, and then all you have to do is wait another half a week in May to bring him back up, and you've done the same thing. Also, we've seen it time and time again, guys who come up in May or June are plenty capable of winning Rookie of the Year, which is really the only thing that most players are going to be in competition for during this time. Like how how many rookie MVPs are we really gonna see that are gonna make this? Or even top time?
2: five in the MVP? Yeah. Like
0: now the thing is a bit part,
2: extreme, honestly. Like
0: the silly part to me is we don't know how far some of these teams are gonna go to abuse this system. Just watch some team that just knows that they knows what they're what they're doing. They've got like a ridiculous roster, like the Dodgers. Like if they just decided to screw around and say, "Hey, we know we're that good," and just throw in a player manager, just watch out for it one day. I I would love to see that. So you get manager of the year, first round pick, or draft pick. But Brandon, you made a good point before. If you want to uh, explain that about the whole hypocrisy of what they're doing here.
2: Yeah, you know, it just seems a little crazy to me that they're saying so. In order to combat the service time manipulation that we've been doing to the players. We fully admit that we have been manipulating players' service time. So in order to combat that, we will now reward the teams for not screwing over their own players. It, It's just... In the, the, the MLBPA, their biggest thing is, well, how are the top 100 prospects going to be, you know, uh, organized? Like, how are we going to come up with that list sure that's a big problem but how about what i just mentioned like you are literally letting them take so much advantage of you it's just mlbpa do better i know that that's why you didn't accept this you, you know you cannot let them just throw stuff like this in there and just say oh well like that's the bargaining chip or whatever come on but moving on these next two oh, do you have uh, one?
0: yeah one more point because That's the bargaining chip, whatever you want to say. What are the MLBPA's bargaining chips?
2: This next point probably that I'm going to bring up, it actually says it here in the article, which is an expanded playoff bracket. The players have expressed openness for a 12-team postseason in the past, and the owners responded with, in this proposal, a 14-team postseason. As the Sportsnet's Ben Nicholson Smith notes, quote, an expanded playoff is arguably players' biggest bargaining chip, given how much the league and the owners want that extra postseason TV revenue.
0: But, from everything I've come to understand, there's no reason for the players not to want this either. So, there's very little power. I, I don't think that it has as much power as they are pretending it does. They're, they're creating the power because they don't have anything that's act of substance.
2: And their last proposal. The use of the DH in both the American and National Leagues. The universal DH has widely been expected to be a part of this CBA. And Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle writes that the players' union seems agreeable to the idea as long as the universal DH isn't tied to something else as a bargaining chip.
0: Everything's tied to everything else as bargaining chips. This is how collective bargaining works. They're trying to
2: make the fans pick a side when, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many fans are on what side. It matters that you guys both sign it at the bottom of the piece of paper that we can play baseball. It's what matters.
0: I'm going to continue to agree. This MLBPA is a sham. I don't want them to have that much power. I don't think that that much power by a union is truly deserved. As
2: seen in the NBA.
0: NBA is a hot mess because of it. And I will never support, fully support the union. Certainly not as much as everybody else on the internet does. I will never support the union that much, but. This is just getting comical but they're so inept with these negotiations that I think the MLBPA, more than the MLB, like the commissioner and all of them, they're going to be more at fault for the fact that May baseball is currently in danger than the teams will be. That's right. I said, I'm moving past the fact that there's no way we have April. May is now in danger.
2: Well, that will wrap up this segment of Brandon and LJ lose their minds, talking <laughs> about the labor negotiations. Uh, to be continued, a hundred percent. But Just we are here mainly, mainly to talk about our top ten left fielders list. Uh, we will move through this a bit quicker as a lot of these guys when we bring them up you know people know who these players are we don't really need to go too in depth but we do have a very nice list compiled here between us two and um lj i believe we have the same guy at number 10.
0: yeah that's right at number 10 we both decided to go with mark canna he has been one of of course there's some big names that have gone off the board this year but probably the most underrated of the early moves possibly is Mark Canna to the Mets because there are very few guys that are just so clearly good with a skill and that skill particularly his on base has been strong for the majority of his career his ability to get on base and that's going to serve this Mets team really well as they try to go out and they get not only versatile, versatile players but players with a really strong skill set guys that you know what their mo is so that you can work them in where they'll best fit
2: and a large part of mark canna's on base percentage believe it or not comes by way of hit by pitch 27 hit by pitches he had in the 2021 season leading both uh or leading the whole mlb this guy 80 hit by pitches in 645 career games uh and we've seen players use that to their advantage all the time. Anthony Rizzo, known to stand close to the plate. We saw Michael Conforto completely just block a strike to win the game by, by a crowding the plate. And Canna, like you said, LJ, he gets on base. He's going to draw walks. He'll hit for a solid average for you. And he's got some pop in his back. I mean, he's hit uh, 17 homers in 2021. And in 2019 was his goal career high of 26 uh, just a guy that you can feel a confident slotting in kind of wherever in the lineup I mean I'm not sure that he would be the ideal leadoff hitter but if in a pinch if you really needed to I mean his on-base percentage has cre- crept up towards the 400 level he was around 360 in 2021 so really nothing to complain uh, with Mark Canna and real solid pickup by the Mets.
0: Brandon
2: who you got at nine number nine I have Eloy Jimenez of the Chicago White Sox uh and this is a guy who I really wanted to rank higher unfortunately uh in 2021 he only played 55 games Uh, during spring training in 2021 he attempted to rob a home run that was about 15 feet over his head he tore shoulder up after he reached his arm over the fence he was out until was it like June or July he was out for a long time wasn't he to start the year and uh when he came back he was a league average hitter pretty much but the main thing is what this guy did in 2019 and 2020 2019 fourth and rookie of the year 31 bombs uh with a 116 OPS plus 2020 he wins the silver slugger 139 OPS plus 14 homers in 55 games in the shortened season so uh I think that he has the potential to be a star player he's got a lot of pop uh and he slots in nice there in the outfield for the White Sox uh and yeah that's why I have him nine really wanted to put him higher though
0: well, you wanted to put him higher. I did put him higher. As my ninth is gonna end up being Christian Yelich. Look, there we talked about the way that the left field group kind of levels off, maybe even levels off twice, with about three different fields. I think this back end group there was like four, yeah, probably about five different guys that I could have put eight through twelve, and would have felt comfortable with i ended up with yelich here um because we'll not have another a better opportunity marcel Zuna and Lourdes scurial also kind of slid in here with jimenez yelich and canna but i ended up going with him here because you know what you have to respect what he was doing through 2018 2019 even before that when he was in miami such strong years i just i still can't believe how this guy has fallen off to the point where he was went from being a perennial MVP candidate to being a slightly below average hitter in terms of his full-on numbers. A lot of this is just the lack of power he's bringing to the game, a lot of parts of his game. I mean, expected slugging way down, but his hard hit percentage is way up. There's just a lot of things that feel like they're out of whack with Christian Yelich at this point in his career, but at age 30, I can't necessarily say that i have no hope left especially seeing some of these high level numbers that should be good predictors towards these types of things being able to come back
2: yeah and you would certainly hope that he's going to be able to pick it up because his big contract extension uh starts this year actually that all that huge money that he signed to I believe it either or it either started in 2021 or starts this year so he's got a lot of money coming his way the next few years and hopefully his production can get back to what he did uh in Miami and those first two years with the Milwaukee Brewers where he was you could have argued that he was a top two or three player in the league at that point. I mean, those back-to-back years, 18 and 19 are pretty crazy stat lines. Uh, I had Yelich at my number eight. Uh, I won't say much more about him and LJ, I believe. Uh, oh yeah. It's someone we just yeah. talked
0: about. We talked about Elo Jimenez. Last thing I will say is he's my number eight here is this guy certainly has the talent and the youth to be able to move up into this top three. It wouldn't shock me if next year or the year after that's what we're talking about.
2: All right, number seven on my list, I've got Kyle Schwarber, who last played with the Boston Red Sox, but is now a free agent. And look, I mean, Kyle Schwarber's twenty twenty one was, is it? It's kind of what everyone thought that this guy could could turn into. Age 28 season, which a lot of people consider to be your prime years or right around your prime years. I mean, a 148 OPS plus. He was tearing it up in Washington, and then he gets traded to Boston, and you could argue that he was almost the better hitter with the Red Sox than he was with the Nationals, which is crazy to think because all those leadoff home runs – him being the hottest player in the league for, I don't know, at least a two or three week stretch uh, during the season. And just a guy who, LJ, he he, he just rakes. I, I don't think that there's much more to say about Kyle Schwarber.
0: No, very very little else you can talk, talk about with Kyle Schwarber. I will get into him a little more in a while, but let's go out to LA now from Boston and let's talk about AJ Pollock. I've gone on record multiple times saying he is the most criminally underrated player on this Dodgers team, mostly because he got a lot of flack that first season he was there. 107 OPS. He was they're really only one of their few big pieces that they made in terms of roster moves at this point where they still didn't have that World Series. The fans certainly weren't as forgiving and some of that got taken out on AJ Pollock, but the numbers don't lie he has been consistently average above average as a hitter. We're looking through here in Arizona. I mean, this is a guy who was a seven, almost a seven war guy back in 2015. He's got a history of being good. And if he was on another team where he got more of a centralized role and certainly full time, I think you'd be talking about AJ Pollock a lot different in the mainstream.
2: Oh, I will get to AJ Pollock in a little bit. But as for uh, number six, LJ and I both agree that it is Michael Brantley uh, of the Houston Astros. And this guy's—he's played thirteen years in the majors and has been really consistent uh, throughout his entire career. I mean, since twenty twelve, in every season that he's played, at least. 40 games he's had over 100 OPS plus made the all the last four all-star games uh that have occurred he's made all of them and a high batting average guy for his entire career doesn't have the most pop but will certainly come up with big doubles and he has he has gap power I'll say that and one of the best pure hitters in the league you watch uh him hit He's a lefty, really nice swing, and just seems like you stick him in the middle of your lineup and he will give the other team fits.
0: Yeah, he'll give give you fits, and we're talking about underrated, and maybe it's just the position that he plays, but this is a guy who's spent since 2009 in Cleveland, and as soon as he started getting good, not only did the team start getting good, but you get the guys, the Francisco Lindors, the Jose Ramirez's in there, and he gets over- overshadowed. I think he's honestly used to it at this point. Maybe, just maybe, this is the type of situation he thrives in as he's come to Houston these last three years, put up some of his best, his probably his best couple seasons of his career, and fit seamlessly into an offense that was already dynamic before they got him. When he went over there, it almost looked like just another almost unnecessary gaudy piece for this offense, and that that take has only gotten better with age.
2: We also agree at number five, and we are going with Jesse Winker, who had his breakout season in 2021. He's only been in the league for a few years now, uh, since 2017, and. He has put up great stats in every year that he's been in the bigs, but 2021 was his big season 110 games. He hits 24 homers, 305 batting average, a 140 OPS plus. Uh, and you know, it's a shame that he only did play 110 games, LJ, because he was certainly on track to be getting uh MVP votes for sure.
0: Absolutely, 110 games. One of the best hit-for-average guys out there that you could have. And the way that his performance is able to so seamlessly fit in with all the other weapons in that Cincinnati offense, it's really good to see a guy like him with his skill set there.
2: They were winning games when he was doing good, and that's what matters at the end of the day. So,
0: That big red contraption, man.
2: The big red contraption, the hunt for Reds October is back on in
0: 2022. Yes,
2: sir. Number four, I have AJ Pollock and LJ, you're right. One of the most underappreciated players in the league. Uh, You know, he's going to give you really solid hitting stats. He can pretty much play wherever, but mostly left field is where He's been playing, but if you need him to play a little bit of center field, he can certainly slide over and do that. And, you know, this is someone who's on his team. He's hitting like sixth or seventh in the lineup, but he's still a career well above average hitter. And that's just what makes the Dodgers so dangerous. You have all these other players in front of A.J. Pollock who are getting on base, You know, this is the kind of guy where it's first and second and there's one out. You have to give this guy something to hit. You can't walk him. And that's what makes him such a good hitter. In the clutch, I've seen him come up big multiple times. You talk about a guy who's got some power. He can hit into the gap. He can give you some home runs here and there. And uh, overall, just a really solid player. I think that's a good word to use for him. He's just solid.
0: All right, well, I believe it is time. I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself. Yeah, I'm not, because it is time to talk about one of the league's most elite basketball hitters, Kyle from Waltham. Kyle Schwarber here comes in at my number four. And I think the, the thing that should be talked about here a lot, not certainly not as much as how great his 2021 was, is the fact that it's not like he wasn't doing anything before this. It's not like the Cubs giving him up necessarily meant made all that much sense. It's not like he wasn't a quality, quality player before this. This is a guy who was, oh, basically, as far as I'm concerned, a shoe in for 30 home runs or close to every single year since 2017. Like, you see him you're going to think, okay, this guy is very capable of taking most people deep. What I think has changed here for Kyle Schorber is, one, prime of his career. Two, just overall the development of his bat-to-ball skill. This is this year was the highest batting average of his career. Um, expected batting average still in the 69th percentile, along with a lot, a lot of 90th percentile situations for this guy i i absolutely love what he's doing right now i love like what he did before and yeah this is his time especially in an era where we're trying to be more creative with rosters and with lineups than probably ever in baseball before certainly in the last 50 years and so managers are finding more ways to put him in positions to succeed the decision to move him to leadoff, which the Red Sox also did a lot of during this his tenure there, but the decision in Washington moving to leadoff was absolutely genius. You've got a great fastball hitter here. Where are you going to see more fastballs than to the leadoff guy, to the guy who's playing the ball? You, you put him in a situation to succeed by defying the norms. And this is what baseball is all about right now getting away from convention. That's why he's going to have, I think, a big next three or four years.
2: All right. A guy who I'm certainly hoping has a big 2022 is Joey Gallo and comes in at my number three. Look, I mean, no one takes more hate on Twitter than Joey Gallo. We have reporters writing articles that he is somehow in the wrong for laying out his uniform prior to putting it on. Seriously, you can look that up. There was a reporter who actually said that that might have been why he was not good with the Yankees. Uh, Hopefully that person learns how journalism works. Um, But Joey Gallo is a guy who is what modern baseball—he is the antithesis of modern baseball. He hits home runs. He walks, and he strikes out a lot. He does all three of those a lot. What he doesn't do, well, really anything else hitting-wise, but his fielding is where is where he be, he goes from being a guy who you're like, okay, like what am I going to get out of a 220 hitter who can hit 40 homers and get on base, but really that's it. Well, he's also in my opinion, an elite fielder. Has one of the best arms in the league range. He can pretty much track down any ball, and he's 6'5", 250. He's no Byron Buxton in the outfield, but he can move, and I've seen him make some really, really nice throws and plays, especially with the Yankees. Now, what I'll say is that Look, you're gonna look at his Yankees numbers, and yeah, they're 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 not good. But this is a guy who, over a big sample, his stats and the wins will come. I'm expecting a big year for him. He's a free agent after the 2022 season, so kind of a big year for him because he's gonna want to get paid the big bucks. And as of right now, he hasn't shown it, but. he's an elite power hitter he gets on base with the best of them and like i said in the field very good
0: my number three this guy's potential is so high that he put himself here as well as his true production i'm gonna get into my skepticism in a minute but it's a randy rosarena first off i absolutely adore seeing a 2020 uh season 20 home runs 20 stolen bases The fact that we got that number exactly is very pleasing to the eye as well. But this is a guy who's come up clutch postseason moments uh, during the 2020 run. Overall, strong numbers throughout and finished it off. I mean, how many guys do you think get the hype of playoff Randy and then are able to actually turn around and have a very impressive true rookie campaign impressive enough to get the rookie of the year a lot of guys would crumble under that kind of pressure he didn't but there is a lot of area to improve as well I mean overall solid defender but you look at overall his sprint speed and all of that I think if he can start getting a better jump on the ball which we've seen a lot of have him having an issue of in this last season he will end up being a very good asset for any team on the de- defensive end. Those types of peripheral things are there for him. I just would like to see a little more out of him before I'm able to put him past three, just because, Brandon, the expected stats for this guy are not necessarily kind so far. So I could see Randy reyna jumping anywhere between eight and one next year.
2: Well, we will now swap analysis, I guess, as I have Randy Arosarena as my number two left fielder, and you have Joey Gallo as your number two left fielder. What I'll say about Randy Arosarena that LJ hasn't said, I mean, look, him, Wander Franco, Brandon Lau, those three are the future of this Rays team. And what a... You know, what a group of players to have. You look at Randy's numbers and in the regular season, he's been exceptional throughout his entire career, including the 23 games in 2020, where he had seven homers in 23 games, which pretty good. Then you look at his playoff stats and obviously in 2020, we don't need to go over what he did. He only hit six homers or four homers in the ALCS and three in the World Series that year. But then in 2021, the one playoff series that he plays against the Red Sox, over a 1,000 OPS, uh, 474 on base percentage, five for 15 at the plate, you know, just a guy who steps up his game and or at least still hits at a high level in the postseason is so valuable to me and what he brings. I I had to put him at two. And, look, I know that a lot of my analysis goes off of what you do in the regular season, but this is a case where this guy just is, in the postseason, such a game-changer.
0: Joey Gallo, this is going to come across mean. I could easily see him sliding down this list next year, and I wouldn't be sad about it. It's not that he's a Yankee for me. It's the fact that, I don't know, I'm, I'm not as glued to these three true outcome guys as a lot of people are. Yes, the home run is sexy, but it doesn't, having that be all you do, not being a little more well-rounded is not a fun game for me to, to, me to watch. That's why I'm not huge, hugely crazy about this guy in terms of favor, in his favor, but the defensive numbers, his defensive ability speaks for himself That's why I am at least somewhat um, interested in this guy and overall his statistical production speaks for itself. That's why he ends up here, but I would like to talk a little more about his time with the Yankees and that's the real reason why it would slip. Again, I did it pretty unbiased this, this time around. I certainly wouldn't change that next time just because I don't like the way he plays. I'm not going to begrudge him what I think we're going to see or could see is that he just is not cut out for New York. There is a big difference between Arlington and New York city. And as He's much, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. I- the population of Arlington, Texas. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, I could easily see him not, not fitting in here. This being more than just a bad stretch to end the season. That feels very likely, not very likely, I shouldn't say, but it would not shock me if he comes out and has another bad year. Also, Arlington, Texas has a population of a little over 395,000.
2: They got quite the ways to get to New York. But, LJ, at number one, we both agree it is Tyler O'Neill. Of the St. Louis Cardinals probably had the biggest surprise season out of any player in the league. I mean, if you were to tell me that Tyler O'Neal had, what was it, a, almost a six-war season? 6.3 <laughs> war in 2021 if you told me Tyler O'Neill, I mean, I knew Tyler O'Neill was good in that he won a gold glove in 2020. But holy crap, where did this come from? The defense— which I know LJ is going to be all over is there. The defense is there. The power. 34 homers out of nowhere. Oh, he had he had played 171 games, he only had 21 homers in his career prior to this season. He hits 34 homers. 80 RBIs, 15 stolen bases, the 9 12 OPS. And I mean, what's going to slow this guy down? Like, that's the thing. Sure, he has one exceptional year, but why is he still so high on this list? You could say, well, you know, you only have one year to, to you know, base his play off of. You watch him play, and you watch him play in the outfield. You can just tell that this guy is here to stay. And, I, and it might sound like terrible analysis. You might be like, Brandon, like, that's, you know, you won't have anything concrete. Just go and watch Tyler O'Neil play. and just such an exciting player.
0: The eye I, test is real.
2: If there was if there was ever a guy to solely base it off the eye test, do it and then you're gonna realize that his stats back it up. Do I wish he walked a little more? Yeah. Do I wish he struck out a little less? Yeah, but he's only 26 years old. He won't be 27 until June. This could be a guy, already two gold gloves. Could this be, you know, I don't know if this is a good player comp, but, like, Alex Gordon, but just a better hitter and not as good in the field, but a corner outfielder who's going to win you gold gloves consistently and also can put up all-star hitting numbers?
0: I like a lot to see a guy be able to watch his development. Maybe it's great when he comes out firing on all cylinders like uh, Fernando Tatis does, but to see Tyler O'Neill's game develop now at 26 in his fourth season is really exciting because you can see the progress. You can see that it's trending somewhere. And now you've got a guy who, again, I love the consistency. I love the fact that you're going to be able to rely on him on defense which is equally as important a place to part of the position as the lineup so that is great to see but overall the just the slow development from him to getting to this point and brandon the expected stats i don't love always love them but the fact that they're backing up his numbers makes me feel very comfortable that there is still more room for him to grow so I I would I would expect him to be at the top again next season.
2: And what an exciting a Cardinals trio that you have now between Arenado, Goldschmidt, and uh, and a Tyler O'Neill. I mean, between the Rays and the Cardinals, they've got their infield and outfield situations uh, well well covered in my mind.
0: Well, that's three incredibly talented defensive players as well. Yeah. For for St. Louis
2: they got a new manager coming in they they really need to.
0: that's the other thing too is watch with the new manager if we can get him taking a few more bases that's only going to add to his value and he can do it this man is plenty fast enough to steal more than to steal upwards of 20 bags oh
2: lj i'm getting so excited just thinking about all these watching all these players but the end of the day if i have to remember we're still in lockout but we're having fun we're sitting here we're chatting about it but uh, yeah i think we're gonna have to wrap this episode up thank All you right, guys well, for lj you have anything else
0: let's go through the uh, list
2: first oh yes our combined list geez I, I am just trying for whatever reason today
0: rushing us on through this episode no no
2: we are good um Yeah, LJ, let's go through it.
0: Starting in a tie for ninth place, we have Mark Cannon and Christian Yelich with three points apiece. Then moving on, we've got Eloy Jimenez at eighth. Michael Brantley comes in second. Then we have a tie for fifth between A.J. Pollock and Kyle Schwarber. Coming in fourth, we have Jesse Winker. And then with a tie for second, Joey Gallo and Randy Rosarena. And our unanimous top left fielder Tyler O'Neill.
2: Solid list, and yet, yeah, thank you guys for listening once again. Uh, we will continue with the weekly podcasts until baseball is back. Uh, until the
0: Nippon League starts up.
2: Yes, I'm hoping that I don't need to immerse myself in Japanese baseball. <laughs> As much as I would love to, I would rather immerse myself in Major League, United States and Canada baseball. That's what I would prefer. But we can only settle with what we have in the time being. Thank you for listening. Check us out on social media. We've been upping our usage on all of our platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Those are all at MLB Daily Pod and um yeah be sure to stay tuned for next week where we have something special planned
0: Hopefully. and uh
2: we will yeah we will get to that next week so we'll see you have a good one
0: see ya